Here at Broadway, it's part of our mission to serve Christ for the transformation of our world. And we do that in all sorts of different ways here locally, with the foundry across town and the schools in our backyards. But we also have partners that are much further away. Um, and for many years now, those partners have been the guest family. Um, they served for many years in Honduras and this year have made a big move, which I'm going to let them tell you about in just a moment. Um, but um, you, you may know the guest family if you've been here for a while. Um, Ashley actually grew up in Broadway. And uh, since her calling to, to ministry on a mission trip in Africa with a, a group of people from here. Um, and then before they went on the mission field, both Justin and Ashley actually worshiped here at the Greenwood campus. Um, they were in a small group with Jeremy and I and some of you guys um, that are here tonight. And it has been our honor to get to cheer you all on from afar. Um, but each year at Christmas Eve, we receive a special offering that supports one of our partners in ministry. This year, it's going to be supporting the guest family. And so I'd love for you to hear from them what's been happening in their lives and how God God is at work in and through them now. I'm going to see. I think the blue one might not be on. Let me check it for you. It's on. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm Micah Guest, and this is my dad, Justin. This is my mom, Ashley, and this is my brother, Isaiah. We are missionaries serving in Stockton right now. Good job. All right, you guys can go sit if you want. Thanks, guys. As Micah and Laura said, um, we're the guests, and I started coming to Broadway when I was not much older than Micah. It's been a really long time. Um, and I grew up going to youth group and going on mission trips and went to Africa, went to Ghana, Africa with the Broadway team and just fell in love with it. But then I also kind of thought everybody falls in love with it. It's amazing. Um, and then I went back again when I was in college and that was where um, my calling to missions was really cemented. Like, yes, this is great, but I, I could be called to do this for a much longer period of time than just for a few weeks. And so I started dating this guy and on our first date, I told him, you probably don't actually want to date me because I feel like I'm called to missions. And, and that's when I said, why don't you let me be the judge of that and make that decision? And uh, I... Date. Spoiler. I grew up in Michigan. Yeah. I grew up in Michigan. We moved here around when I was 12 years old, went to church here in Bowling Green. And I always felt the call to be a youth minister. I remember uh, we actually had a missionary come to our church one time and said, maybe God's calling you to be a missionary. And I remember thinking about that moment and thinking, I don't really think so. I don't know. I didn't have a problem with it. I just didn't feel at the time. But when you meet a pretty girl, things can change really quickly. And uh, as soon as she said that, I'm like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think God's calling me to be a missionary now. Uh, so we reached out. We found an organization. And they said, we would love for you guys to go to Honduras. Uh, we were a little unsure about that at the time. Did you Closer. Oh, sorry, closer. Um, and we worked at a project called Project Manolito. It was an orphanage in Talanga, Honduras, and we worked there for seven years, and we loved it. We, were, we worked with 43 kids that lived on the orphanage and 150 kids who came in from town. 
these kids who came in from town, many of them did not have running water, electricity. A lot of them only had meals when they were at the, at the project. And we, like I said, loved that. We were passionate about that. We thought God was calling us to serve there the rest of our lives. In fact, our oldest son was even born there in Honduras. He's a Honduran citizen. He's got dual citizenship. But as we all know, plans can change, and God can move us in different directions. And that's what we felt. And the time came when it was clear that we needed to move on. And so we looked for where we would go. And we were directed to northern Honduras, an island off the coast of northern Honduras. Very beautiful island, actually. And there was a people group there called the Garifuna. They are a naval tribal people to Honduras, originally from Africa, but had been there for a very long time. And we worked there for seven years, and we loved four. that. Four years. Oh, four years. We worked at the orphanage for seven. We worked at the island for four years. So good to have help up here. <laughs> Um, and we, there we worked in the area of community development. We worked with local leaders, and our big thing was all the ease. We equipped them, empowered them, encouraged them to meet their community's needs, to not rely on outside help, but to say you all are capable of seeing, being the change you want to see in your communities. And we loved that, but then a time came, and we felt, okay, I think it's time to move on. And we didn't like that feeling because we were very comfortable where we were, very established, had lots of friends, kids were in school, everything was wonderful. But we knew it was time to move on, and we had to be obedient to that. So we started asking around, and everyone kept saying, have you guys thought about Stockton, California? And every time they would say that to me, I said, absolutely not. No way. First of all, do you know how expensive it is to live in California? There's no it's way. a lot. There's no way our monthly support can manage that. But they kept saying it over and over again. And the more we looked into it, the more we realized that God had been preparing us for so many years for this ministry. Yeah, so the ministry in Stockton is a community center, so it's similar to the foundry, but more like early stages foundry. We're hoping to get it up to the foundry level in the next few years. Um, and so right now, our main focus is an after-school program. So Let's tell me about Stockton first. Though. Okay, Stockton is a, an interesting place. It is the most diverse city in the U.S. Um, a lot of people have heard of it because there's a lot of problems with violence, with gangs, with homelessness. It's a very, very different place. Um, and... There's just a lot of issues. It's a whole systemic problem. The schools are horrendous. There's a lot of problems. Um, but it's a really neat place because of all the diversity. There's just so much culture there. And the people that we've met have been amazing. Um, but there's a lot of need. And so the center is where we've been working. And it is mostly an after-school program. So every day from 3 to 6, we're there with the kids loving on them, showing them that somebody cares about them, that we're there for them to support them. Um, so the parents can just drop off their kids there. We do homework help, we do mentoring, we play games together, we do Bible club. We do a lot of talking about the future and goals and plans and help them to navigate life. So as far as like big things or small things. So, you know, we'll talk about boy issues or the kids that got in fights during that day um, or big things. Um, Recently, a couple months ago, a little girl came in, and I could just tell something was up. She wasn't, she wasn't acting right. And I said, what's wrong, sweetie? And she said, my brother has a knife. I'm really scared. And so I asked... Most of these families live within walking distance of the center. Yeah. So I asked a lot more questions. We found out that her brother was under the influence and was pacing around the house with a knife. And she and her younger sisters were very nervous and didn't understand what was going on and felt very uneasy. Um, and so we called her mom, and her mom said she did not feel safe either, so she brought all of the little ones down to the center, and we were able to take care of them there. We got the police involved. And um, 
were trying to get help for the brother. Um, he said that he wanted it and then changed his mind. So it's a pro process, um, and we're there with them. And she still comes all the time, and she just knows that that's a safe place that she can come and talk to us about whatever's going on. We serve families of many different backgrounds. One of the families that comes is a homeless family, and they bounce around to friends and family's homes. They stay in shelter sometimes. And I was talking to the boy. He's a teenager getting ready to go into high school. And he was telling me about his dreams for the future, and he wants to be a professional. And he told me uh, he wanted to be an actor, being in California, right? And uh, said, oh, so you're going to work in restaurants. And he said, yeah, I'm going to work in like a five-star restaurant while I'm getting ready to be an actor like Olive Garden. And I'm like, yeah, Olive Garden, it's a five-star restaurant. <laughs> But as he told me, he's in middle school, he's getting ready to go into high school next year. And he's oh. a great kid. He's like on the leadership team. He is doing all the right things. Does everything he can. But as he talked about high school, he, you could just tell he was, he was terrified. And he told me of all the guns they had already found at his school this year. I think he had said there had been three. School had only been in ex happening a couple months. And you could just tell he had these dreams, but he was afraid of the barriers that were in his way that were going to stop him from achieving what he wanted to do. He saw what all of his peers and his family had gotten into, gangs and other things, drugs, and he was afraid that that was where he was going to end up as well. Yeah, his brothers have a lot of issues. His dad's currently in jail. I don't think his mom is working. So that's what the center exists for, is for these families who have so many barriers in their life. We want to provide shalom for them. We want to provide fullness, show them God's love, show them God's plan for their life and to guide them through that and provide a safe space for them as well in the afternoons. Yeah, so big plans. I've also been teaching English classes. Officially, I think that there's like a 50% Hispanic rate, yeah. Latino rate um, in the area. So there's a big need for English lessons. It's a, a lot of Spanish speaking in the community, which is fun for us. Um, but, but we really just want to turn the place into like the foundry. There's this place where the community can come and get resources, job training, Bible lessons, small groups, everything. Exercise we want to be there classes, for them. yeah. We're looking at starting a bilingual story hour in the new year. So just trying to figure out things to meet the community's needs and really just come alongside them. And we just want to thank Broadway. You guys have been with us from day zero. You've always supported us and you continue to do so. So thank you guys so much. Yeah. And we hope to see you out there. It's not international. You don't need a passport. <laughs> If you want a calendar, we put some on the back table at the calendar table. Justin and Ashley are going to be visiting Candle. all of our um, candlelight services at Broadway, so they're going to be heading out across town. But before they go, I'd love for us to pray for them. And so, boys, if you all join them back up here, and if you guys don't mind, if you feel comfortable, just kind of reach out your hand. Um, we're going to pray a prayer of blessing over them. Lord God, we thank you so much for Justin and Ashley and Micah and Isaiah. God, you have given each and every one of them your gifts and your graces. You knit each of them together so that you could use them in a special way to meet people right where they are and to share your love with them. And so, God, we just pray your blessings upon them as they um, embark on this new adventure in Stockton. God, we pray that you would fill them up with your love and your peace and your endurance um, that you would fill them up, most of all, with your love and your light, that they might give it away. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas. Can you believe that it is here? I can't. It seems like it snuck up on me a little bit. But Christmas is this holiday that invites us together with our families and our friends. It is a special day that encourages us to eat all the homemade candy and cheese ring that we can 
It's this special day where we have the opportunity to offer each other with, uh, offer our love to each other with the giving and the receiving of gifts. And it is that one time of year where we dust off some of our favorite songs like Jingle Bells and Rudolph and sing them for just a few weeks, right? Christmas is this special time of year. However, as fun as all of those things I just listed are, the thing that above and beyond all else that Christmas does is it resets our expectations. It resets our expectations about where we find God. You guys might have heard the story about two little boys who just always seem to be getting into trouble. And no, I'm not talking about my two little boys this time. Although I probably could be. But these two little boys, they were just a handful. You know, they they weren't listening to their mom at all. And so finally, like, she had enough. She had met her limit. She couldn't do anything with them. So she decided, you know what? I'm going to take them down to see the priest at the church. Side note. I don't know if that's really in our job description, so this isn't an advertisement to offer this service, these services to you guys tonight, but this is what this mom did. She marched the boys down in there. She set the youngest little boy in a chair, and she sent the oldest little boy in first to sit down before the priest. And as he sat down, the priest looked him in the eye, and he said, do you know where God is? And the little boy just kind of like got stiff. He froze. And he did not utter a word. And so the priest asked him again, do you know where God is? And this time his face went like sheet white. And he was, you know, sitting there just like, just like trying to to catch his breath, it looked like. But still the priest persisted. He said, do you know where God is? And this time the little boy jumped up out of his chair. He ran out into the hallway and over his shoulder, he yelled back to his little brother, get out quick. It's bad. God is missing and they're trying to pin it on us. (laughs) I told you they were a handful, so it seems like a likely story, but where is God? Now, normally, when any child or adult is asked that question, they don't assume that God has literally gone missing, right? No. Where do we often point when we ask, where is God? Up, right? We point up. We talk about God being in the glory of heaven above, high and lifted up while all of us are down here, right in the midst of the messiness of earth. We often live as if God has his realm and we have ours and that there's kind of like this invisible wall that exists between them. And so God's realm and our realm, they just like kind of never mix or mingle. They never cross paths with one another. However, that's where Christmas comes in. Christmas comes in and it shatters this invisible wall that we often put up between us and God. Christmas resets our expectations about where God is found as we remember that Jesus was and he is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. It is a name that comes up in scripture only a handful of times. In fact, it's only found in two different books of the Bible. And the place where we most commonly hear it read to us, you know, the the place where we are most familiar with is in Matthew chapter 1 that we heard read earlier for us. 
If you remember what's happening in that passage, we have Joseph who is in a bit of shock and dismay after learning that his to-be wife, Mary, is pregnant. He has been visited in a dream by an angel, an angel that has told him not to be afraid to take Mary home to be his wife, that she is conceived through the Holy Spirit. And then Matthew says this, he says, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I don't know about you all, but whenever I'm reading that part in Matthew chapter 1, I don't really pause and ponder at that point. I just like keep on reading, right? Because I want to know what else happens in this Christmas story. We got to get to the good stuff. We got to get to the Magi or her coming and bringing all of these fabulous gifts to Jesus. But I want to invite us tonight to pause there, to take some time to ponder and to consider what prophet Matthew is talking about in the first place and and why God gave this promise to his people at all. In order to answer that question, we have to go back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And there in Isaiah, what we find is, is that God's people are in the midst of a time where they're not just a little afraid, where they're not just slightly concerned, but where they are absolutely terrified In fact, the Bible says that they are shaking like trees shaken by the wind. Yikes, right? What was going on was that there were not just one, but two enemy armies that were trying to invade and overrun them. And these enemies, they were doing pretty well. They were starting to gain ground on them. So God's people, they were naturally terrified. They were naturally afraid. They don't know what's going to happen next. Their future is uncertain, especially for their king, a king named Ahaz, who is the target of all of these advances. He's the one that they are trying to get, um, get off the throne, that they're trying to overthrow and take power away from. But in the midst of all of this fear, In the midst of all of this uncertainty, God sends the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz to make a promise, a promise to him personally and a promise to all of his people. And this is what he says. He says, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. Talking about the enemies overrunning them. Let me ask you guys a question. Have you ever found yourself in the shoes of the king of Judah, Ahaz? Have you ever found yourself in a place where where you've gotten all worked up about something that never actually occurred? Anybody? I know I have. (laughs) Um, Mark Twain evidently did. He's quoted as saying, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. And so perhaps you're like him and you're like me and you've spent time like wringing your hands and pacing the floors and had more sleepless nights than you can count over something that never actually plays out. And if so, you are most certainly not alone. It happens. And it happens a lot, research tells us. In fact, research tells us that 85% of the things that you and I worry about never actually come about. 85% 85% never actually happens. 
one of the experiments that confirmed this, it asked people to kind of keep a log, a journal, over this extended period of time where they would write down all the things that they were afraid of. And then after that period of time, they had them go back and to, to mark all the things that had actually happened. And whenever they did that, whenever they went back and they looked at all their worries, all of their fears, what they discovered was not only that 85% of it never actually happened, but that that other 15% that was hanging out there, that the things that did come about were usually not nearly as bad as they thought they would be and that they had learned something from it. And so at the end of the day, what the researchers concluded was that 97% of what we are worried about, what we find, have our fears um, being worked up over, that it's nothing more than, than that, than us just letting our fear get out of control, causing us to exaggerate and have misconceptions. You and I, we are prone to catastrophize at times. Of course, it would be nice if God would send us a prophet like Isaiah who would stand right in front of us and say, it is not going to happen, right? That would be great, right? But can we be honest? Would that even be enough for us? I mean, imagine or think back on, on how worked up you perhaps become over something. And so I wonder if that's why the prophet not only gives Ahaz this promise, but he actually gives him a sign as well. This is what Isaiah says. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Now, scholars, they have all kinds of, you know, arguments over who exactly this child was. Some of them think that this child that was, was born um, to a woman was Isaiah's own wife and his son. Other people think it was some other young woman in Judah and her son. However, most likely, what, what we think is that it was most likely the wife of King Ahaz himself, who soon thereafter bore a son and gave him the name Emmanuel, so that every time King Ahaz would look at his son and call him by name, he would be reminded, God is with us. And sure enough, just like God promised, by the time that this child was old enough to eat curds and honey, and he knew wrong from right, uh, those enemies that had been attacking Judah, the ones who had made all the people shake like the trees shaken in the wind, guess what? They were the ones who had been conquered. They were the ones who had been overrun. Emmanuel was a promise, a promise to that particular king in that particular place at that particular point in time, which God faithfully fulfilled in that particular moment. But Emmanuel was also a promise that God's people looked back on and they clung to for centuries to come. When God's people found themselves afraid, terrified about what might happen next, they would look back on this moment in their history and they would pray for God to do it again. They would pray for God to send another Emmanuel, another living reminder that God was with them. For 735 years, they longed for this to happen. And in the midst of yet another fear-filled moment, 
when God's people were shaken like the trees shaken in the wind, when they were being ruled over and oppressed by the empire of Rome, that's when it happened. That's when Matthew tells us that, that God did what they had been hoping for, that he sent into the world another Emmanuel, fulfilling this promise from long ago through the birth of Jesus. The virgin conceived and gave birth to a child, and they called him Emmanuel. However, what God's people could have never seen coming was just how much more grand, how much greater this fulfillment of the promise would be. Uh, the son that was born to the king all those years before, he was just an ordinary child. A child meant to be a sign, a signpost that they could look at and know not to be afraid because God was with them. But now, in the person of Jesus this wasn't just a living reminder, but rather it was the living God himself. He was no mere symbol or signpost. He was actually Emmanuel in the fullest sense. He was literally God with us, the divine, having taken on human flesh, come to make his home here among us. As Jesus' story continues to unfold in the book of Matthew, he is never called Emmanuel again, nor is he called Emmanuel anywhere else in Scripture. However, in everything he does, from that moment forward, he shows himself not to just be named, but to actually be Emmanuel. He drives out fear wherever he goes, doing the kinds of things that God does. He makes the blind to see and the lame to walk. He heals the sick and he feeds the thousands with a one sack lunch. He calms the winds and he walks up on the waves. He forgives sins and he conquers death with resurrection. And as his story plays out in the book of Matthew and it draws to a close, this is the promise that Jesus makes to all of us. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Emmanuel isn't just who Jesus was when he walked up on our earth. It is who he always and everywhere is to us. The promise that was fulfilled with the birth of Jesus, it has continued on and has now come across the ages to you and me. God is with us. Christmas. It resets our expectations about where we find God. He is not some distant, disinterested deity that is aloof, leaving us all alone to figure things out here on earth while he's up in heaven. Rather, he has entered into our world to meet us right where we are in this moment. In the book uh, Anatomy of Peace, there's a story that's told about a girl named Jenny. Jenny's parents had taken her to enter into a program for young adults that were struggling with addiction. And she had a whole lot of fear about going through this program. And so whenever she got there, she refused to get on the bus with all the other participants. Um, in fact, she got so worked up about it that she took off running on foot away from the bus. Um, and so at that point in time, the leaders of the program, they had a decision to make. What are they going to do? You know, A, just let her go and go on on this um, excursion that this program involved all, all without her? Or B, do they follow her on, with the bus, you know, inviting her continually to get on? But the leaders of this program, they didn't choose option A or option B. Instead, they chose option C, 
which was a bit surprising. Two of the leaders instead followed her on foot, just like her, so that they could make sure that she stayed safe. And after a while, they caught up with her, and whenever they did, they looked down, and they noticed something very concerning. Jenny did not have any shoes on, and it was a very warm day, and she was running all around on the pavement. And so one of the leaders took off her own shoes, and she offered them to Jenny in that moment. Now, Jenny refused to take the shoes, and she took off running again. But the leaders, they didn't give up. The leader who'd taken off her shoes decided not to put them back on, and the other leader with her left his shoes off as well. And for the next three hours, they chased her. Their feet were beaten and battered when they finally uh, followed her into a shopping mall. And in the shopping mall, she found a few of her friends, and she was complaining to them, you know, complaining about her parents who were making her, or trying to get her to go through this program, complaining about these leaders who'd been following her around town, and on and on she went. But eventually, uh, one of the friends looked over, and they saw the leader standing there waiting for her. And they looked down, and they noticed that she, they didn't have any shoes on, just like her. And they said to her, Jenny, maybe you should give it a try. Jenny eventually asked all the leaders all her questions, and she agreed to go with them. But someone asked the leaders afterward, like, why in the world would you do what you did? Why in the world would you run around town without your shoes on? What good would that do? And they simply explained it was a way of entering into her world. It was a way of meeting her right where she was in that moment and being with her in it. It's a beautiful picture of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. In essence, he took off his shoes in love to enter into our world that night in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, and he has been chasing us ever since. He became like us in every way possible so that, that we can know that we are never alone, no matter what this life throws at us, that he is with us in it. He has walked through hardship. He knows rejection and pain. He's experienced firsthand disappointment and heartache. He has suffered loss and he has looked death in the face. There is no place that we can go that he has not been, not even the grave. We need not be afraid. God is with us. He is Emmanuel. Christmas it resets our expectations about where God is found. The truth is, we don't find God. God finds us. He meets us right where we are, just like he did that first Christmas night in the manger. And so, where does God need to meet you tonight? Is there a place in your life where fear has crept in? And you find yourself shaking like the trees shaking in the wind. Perhaps you're facing some very real challenges that are wearing you out and wearing you down. Or maybe your catastrophizing has gotten a bit out of hand. But wherever you are, you can know that Emmanuel is right there as well. He is with you in it, ready to do what God does, ready to drive out fear with his hope and peace and love. Each time we come to this table, we have the opportunity to encounter Emmanuel, 
When we come to this table, we can see and we can smell and we can taste and we can touch the bread and the juice. And so as we eat and as we drink, may we re-experience the powerful truth that God is with us. We remember that on the night before Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread And he gave thanks to the Father. And then he broke the bread. And he gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup. And once again, he gave thanks to the Father. And he gave it to his disciples saying, Take, drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink from it, do this in remembrance of me. As those who are assisting um, this evening come forward at this time, would you pray with me, please? Lord God, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until that day when Christ returns in final victory and we feast together at his heavenly banquet. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.